Welcome to the Stories Are Soul Food podcast, presented by Cannonball Books, the kids' fiction imprint of Cannon Press. Met a ghost of a king on the road when I first fell. Fire burning to my knees, to my knees I fell. Met a ghost of a king on a road. And that is the sound of... Welcome to Sass. Another episode of Sass. Today we're drinking Le Croix. The phrase... The French beverage. It's very hoity-toity. Pamplemousse instead of grapefruit for some reason. But it's okay. There's not any real flavor of any kind. It's just water. It's just a, it's a rumor of flavor. (laughs) There's a rumor. And uh, I should, I should start by saying I left our Jojo Rabbit podcast and I was like, how did you can't be, and you cannot be right about it winning best picture. How did I not know that? That's, and I was just not trusting myself because you'd Googled. And as I was leaving, it's like, it was, no. Did I look it up wrong? It, no, it did not. It did not win. <laughs> That's embarrassing. <laughs> no, Paras- How did I Google it wrong? <laughs> <laughs> Parasite won that year. And it shouldn't have. And it was actually a really fantastic year for movies. It was one of those rare movies, mm-hmm. movie years, where there were so many strong contenders, like really okay. strong contenders. 1917. Knives Out, uh, Ford versus Ferrari. Was it just nominated? Jojo Rabbit, and then Parasite took it. So, I, I don't know. I think Google changed the results because it's very <laughs> clearly nominations now. <laughs> yeah, and I, but I even asked you in the podcast, I was I like, know. you mean nominated? Like, I was like, no, look. But you successfully got me to doubt myself. You actually gaslit me <laughs> successfully. Uh, and that's I was, helpful, actually. I was sitting here thinking like, how on earth did I miss this? And it was also funny because then I had to listen to my um, various family members. I'll tell you. I'll be like, Seamus, my my 16-year-old texting me. is like, Parasite won that year. And I was like, I know. I know. (laughs) He knew better. Brian made me doubt myself. I was very taken aback. And then now now here we sit. I mean, having released disinformation. We um we honestly should be punished by the federal government for having put false facts on the internet. Well, isn't that what they do with false facts on the internet? I think so. It's a big deal. Or should we join the federal government because mm. we put fast, false facts? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I just got back from ACCS. Saw Welcome many back. many listeners of the pod okay. there, all of whom now think Jojo Rabbit won Best Picture. <laughs> contra their contra their previous beliefs. The nice part is that we'll never catch those original people who heard that podcast. You know, we're never oh, going sure to be able to correct them. We just, we just corrected it. We're okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Brian Cole. <laughs> False factor. A failure We may of as Google. well have asked chat GBT. <laughs> actually, yeah. That's what it was. Uh, I've heard good results other than that. I actually, no one has corrected us. I think they just, just trust. Weird. I think they just trust us and your own family. I think they just laughed into their own hands and didn't bother to correct us. Right. Yeah. They're like, who cares who won Best Picture? Yeah. Why does it matter? It doesn't. But um, still good to that be was accurate. actually a good year. It was a great year. There's yeah. some good movies from that year. Yeah. Well, uh, following- Parasite isn't one of them. Parasite- I was going to ask. Has two great that. acts. I think their Parasite is really, uh, has some very interesting, cool stuff in it. But then, uh, no. <laughs> doesn't it just descend into violence? It, yeah, it descends into madness. Okay, nice. I was actually going to talk to you about that. It's the easiest thing to write is the Descent into Madness, but... Okay, that follows up. Well, let's jump into that right away because I actually just watched uh, half of whatever that movie, Banshees of Inisherin. 
right? Mm, not seen it. Yeah. Um, you know, I should just say that every movie now is one the best picture. <laughs> <laughs> best picture from 2024. Uh and I watched until the guy cut his own finger off because his friend wouldn't stop talking to him. And at that point, I quit. Okay. Descent into madness. The descent uh, into madness. It was an interesting premise. And I was I was actually going to ask about several violent things because I watched that. I finished reading Blood Meridian by okay. uh, by Cormac McCarthy. Um, really hated it. And, Shocked. Um, because I really liked his first one. But I, I was I, I was hoping you could dig in a bit more. Um because folks, this is a question from David. I know just about everybody in the Godfather one and two are evil and I should not root for them. Why do I like the movies so much though? What makes them so attractive? And that is kind of a follow-up on our Breaking Bad conversation. Cause it um now I've been watching, you know, Blood Meridian is all about atrocious, heinous characters. You know, Banshees of Inisharan has that crazy aspect where you just get bad characters getting worse and worse. Um, and you should watch anybody interested in the Godfather should watch the offer. Okay. Uh, the series about the making of it. Yeah. It's, it's great. Uh, filters. Yes. Mm -hmm. Goes without um, saying every time we recommend. Yeah. There's basically don't just assume anybody should watch it. Uh, but it is, it's very interesting. I think the Godfather, the thing that is overwhelmingly compelling is the, familial culture people yearn for this to be part of something that's tight like tightly unified yeah and the you're in and this is the rhythm and we also kind of yearn for aristocracy and outlaws yeah so if you have a a freestanding sovereign nation in uh the crime family you know over against government government corruption and and all that kind of stuff and the uh, the origin of uh, the mafia and that Italian self protection that kind of started to happen and how it goes right, how it goes wrong, why it was needed mm -hmm. is an is a whole interesting social discourse. Like, why did those Italian immigrants need that at all? Why was it a necessary thing? Uh, and they they kind of did at the outset. Who were they, they being beat up on? Uh, well, I would say that there was a at that time, uh, there was a very, very strong animosity and a lot of ethnic hatred. And it's, it's kind of weird for us. We've boiled everything down to melanin. Yeah. And we think that that's, that's it. But Irish and Italians and Russians and, yep. you know, the, the, the Jews the and the Poles. Jokes, and, right? yeah, yeah. Like it wasn't just, it's not, white people are plenty good at hating each other too. There's, <laughs> there's, there's all these different feuds and government. And so like I, my, my grandmother told me once, she's like, you know, there was this one neighborhood that I, uh, would go, she, she was trying to do evangelism in this neighborhood and she started a Bible study and she invited all these women from these houses in this neighborhood in a gated community. I want to say it was in Annapolis, Maryland or near, near Annapolis, the outskirts of DC. And the neighborhood actually like posted signs. It was like posted like no blacks, Jews, or Catholics. And Jeez, <laughs> you know, it's like it's some of, the, know, some of these things are not like the others. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, but it's there. There was a weird moment. It was 
weird. And but it goes all the way back. People have been hating each other for a lot of reasons for a long time. And the different immigrant populations that were uh flowing into the US and fighting for uh jobs with each other and economic stability and the Irish flooded into the police forces in mm-hmm. Boston and New York and the Italians, you know, obviously they needed food and family and they they did a lot of things, but they also ended up building their own social structures. Right. And flooded out of the police forces. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and it's kind of funny. It's like if you think about what were the Irish the most famous for doing when they all immigrated to the US, it's cops becoming mm-hmm. cops and what were the italians the most famous for doing when they immigrated in right now this is not to say that most people were doing it it's just to say that fame like their yeah. ethnic group well it's how the stereotype their group, works their group of immigrants arrived and got famous for culturally for what it's like yeah. their food unlike the irish their their food and their families yeah like it's you know very much so and the irish were catholic too which is you know makes it extra weird well, it's so, interesting. I think we also uh, the press. There's some pretty bright, flamboyant characters. Yeah, that in, that made those groups stick out. Yeah, and and so and made them also very easy to culturally elevate, like old Western outlaws, the way we had with yeah. gunfighters and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah, people who weren't afraid. And you have to realize that the WASPy establishment, the WASPy power structure at the time, was in no way friendly to uh, the immigrants, to Catholic, especially Catholic immigrants. Yeah. To immigrants and Catholic immigrants. And then with the Irish, the Irish's inroad was the police force. Mm-hmm. They, that was kind of it. That's that's as high as people would let them go. You know, it was they were housekeepers and chauffeurs and cops. Um, but there was all sorts of waspy power hanging on hard uh back then. And this is, you know, we're we're to the middle of the of the 20th century and then beyond of the Godfather series. But by then the Italians have built their own infrastructure and they have, they have these families. So I think, but the appeal of it is when you look at that, what do you yearn for? Yeah. Like, well, I think and it's, it's easy. And it's, I'd say strong family bonds, strong family unity and us against the world. Absolutely. And like, and squads of guys yeah. who are all on the same team, yep. taking down bad guys. And that's know. appealing. That is. And like we don't say, have those like kind of structures. Really strong family units and strong family culture, a beautiful family culture, you know, all of this. And Coppola really did an amazing job emphasizing that. Yep. And so in the offer, there's a great scene where he's really trying to he's trying to explain to people why it's he needs a working kitchen. I can't have just a dummy kitchen. It needs to be a working kitchen. They're making sauce because that's this is this yeah. is about family, and so they're cooking sauce together while they're having this conversation. Yeah, and uh, that I mean, that's pretty. It's pretty cool. He understood. It is cool. Yeah. So the fact that you have the director fighting over no, they need to be really cooking. That's at the heart of this. Mm-hmm. Um, explains why there is so much appeal, right? And why there is so much that you could admire about that. About not the not the you know the whole organized crime piece. <laughs> um, but however, you should want a family that has a tight, beautiful bond, even across cousins and distance and yeah. generations and loves to eat together and loves to be together and has an us against the world mentality. Right. The giant wedding. Just without the machine guns. Right. You without know? people getting garroted in bars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and that's, of course, where it's interesting in terms of plot. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but even there, Godfather series, Descent into Madness, 
is, you know, that's the easy part. Yeah, I mean, it's a, we like stories about heroes and villains who have that flaw or who have that gravity that pulls everything in around them. And that works for both good and ill. I mean, yeah. and it always has. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, amazing scenes that you just remember forever. Yep. Um, those are part of the reasons. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with enjoying The Godfather. Um, also, because it's, we've, when we talked about Breaking Bad, it was how long is this thing? You know, is it five seasons of watching this versus? Right. I've movies. never finished watching The Godfather movies, let's say that. I also, you make I it think in I've the watched mo- one and two and part of three. I think I finished two one time and just thought, whoa, the whole watching the marriage that you were excited about just implode is less enjoyable yep. than watching him turn toward gangsterhead. Yep. <laughs> yep. Um, it is interesting to watch. Uh, Goodfellas had that same problem, right? Mm-hmm. One of those movies that gets. Let's w- just deteriorate. Yeah. One of the movies that gets ranked is like, this is one of the best films and these heroes are so great. And then uh, you, of course, have Scorsese go and make The Irishman to say, hey, I actually did it wrong. I, I don't like that people thought that they, glorify it all. That, that, that they missed the point of that movie, yeah. which is this guy ruined everything. And so now I'm going to make another movie about where you really can't miss the point this time. Yeah. But again, that makes it much more boring because I don't know anybody who finished watching The Irishman. I did. Did you? <laughs> I, I only did. made it two hours. And the end the is free. good. Is it good? The end is, See, the I got to keep good. going. I got to keep going. <laughs> and that one's interesting too, because you have that Irish hoodlum brat. Who it's joins. Really, I think the Irishman was one of the movies of that year. Did it? Of, was it? Maybe maybe I'm gaslighting somebody about that too. <laughs> now I'm going to start flinching every time we say that. was like, picture. oh no, oh no. Every time we assert a fact. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, oh no. Where's the ombudsman? Yeah. <laughs> we well, got to fact check this. I think... As we, uh, as you look, as you look at stories and you look at broken people that have things about them that make it fun to watch or make the story beautiful or, or whatever, there's, there's no question that the Godfather is incredibly made. Yeah. You know, that it was quite well-made and tragic and an exploration of the tragic flaws of an otherwise beautiful family. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, I, I think it's worth watching. Yeah. It's worth watching. It's worth appreciating. Yeah. Um, and learning from uh, as Christian storytellers, because I don't know how you, um, if you said, for example, I don't think a Christian can watch the Godfather and enjoy it or appreciate it. How do you feel about the book of judges? <laughs> like, can you, cause I, I think Christians should not only read the book of judges, which they ought to do, they should enjoy it. You should yeah. read the book of Judges and enjoy it. And at some points, the enjoyment is bigger than uh, approval of and appreciation of all of the details of people's yeah, the, choices. You're not you're not just signing up for everybody's decisions, but you are saying, whoa. <laughs> it's, right. wow, this is, and trying to envision a world and picture a world in which that was life. This is how life was done at the time and in that place. And you should read Judges and you should read Kings and you should read the whole Old Testament and enjoy doing so. I was thinking through that because our question of how do you appreciate a bad guy who's impressive seems like a, right. a good question. And Absalom is that, right? If if in David's son, Absalom, if you can't understand why he almost took the nation of Israel away, you know, won the hearts of the young men, was impressive to look at, right. got 
got a bunch of David's counselors over, you know, the deep straight uh, up hair farm. Right. Yeah. You know, the hair and just his ability to capitalize on mistakes David had made. I don't know. You know, that seems to me like a godfather moment. Yeah. If you could track, I don't know what you're doing with Absalom, but that So imagine imagine though stepping into this place where you have a father who was strong and amazing and has been weak ever since his own tragic flaw and has lost his son. He's going to have to go to war with his son. Yeah. So read the story, picture the story, envision the characters, envision their motivations, understand why they're pissed off at each other. Right. Understand why David's weak, why Absalom's frustrated. So you're frustrated. saying after Bathsheba, that's that tipping point yeah. that just kind of ruined. He's never. He's never the David that we. He's never that guy again. Um, and incidentally, as a side note, here's the weird part. Not after Bathsheba, after Uriah. Okay. Yeah. You know, it's Bathsheba was part of it. We get hung up on that part. Yeah. You know, like that's, um, and it wasn't good, <laughs> <laughs> but it was not the point of no return. Yeah. The, the point of no return was the cover up. The betrayal and murder. The murder and, and the betrayal. and the Of the, the guy who makes the list of your mighty yep, men who helped you do it. The everything. betrayal and murder of one of your mightiest men. Yeah. One of the converts who came to you because of your fame. You know, who, yeah, a, Hittite. a Hittite who came and left behind his pit, pit religion of demon worship and is here. And, um, uh, and a... And a picture of what the gospel's going to do, yeah. right? God's little, so little foretaste. So to murder a convert, yeah. like you are, you are the, you know, to use the Ronald Reagan image, you're the city on the hill. Like you are yeah. uh, a picture of the Messiah. You are this lion of Judah and you're gathering the nations to yourself and, and you want to build the temple. You want to do these things. And, and then you take the dude's wife and you murder him. And that, like you, that is a tragedy. That is a deep tragedy. And such a strong man who's done so much good. That fall is is one that he just keeps falling, yeah. but it just keeps on falling. And he, his DNA, his his genetics are what they are. And Absalom is he's powerful. You know, he's actually compelling and powerful, and deeply broken. Yeah, like deeply broken, and so as um, we've ha we've heckled John Irwin on this podcast, so I'll give him kudos for this. Um, <laughs> it's it's funny. John has said, and other people have said that the in that whole story, the only good father was Saul, which is interesting. Not Samuel, not yep. David, Saul, the one who had the throne taken from him for his own tragic mistake. The depth of that tragedy, like the depth of the, of Saul's tragedy, is that he has Jonathan behind him. Yeah, you know, like there's that's like there's a there's a line in place. He's a wise man, a noble man, a righteous man to take the throne after Saul. Yeah, and Saul ruined it. <laughs> right, and then we end up in all the chaos of David and yeah, obviously even David and Solomon. Too. Yeah, Ishbosheth Ishbosheth Ish is another one that was pretty faithful. You know, the crippled guy. Yep. Um. Yeah, that's a good point, is that Saul's family yep. hung together much better than David's. Yeah, <laughs> way better. Dare we say more godfathery. <laughs> yeah.
<laughs> yeah, it's yeah. But then he actually is the one that had the 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 whole thing fell apart and he lost it. And then David kind of does the same thing where he has, you know, Solomon obviously is the the heir and everything's, you know, Solomon enters this amazing uh amazing peace and and bloom of Israel. But then Solomon has his own issues. Yeah, shout out to our episode. Yeah. On Solomon. Yep. And so you you watch this and I all this is to say, if you can read Judges and you can read Samuel and you can read Kings and you can enjoy the character study and really try to map it, map the narrative, see it as see it as a film, see it as a show, envision it that way, and the, the characters become more compelling and more comprehensible to you. And realize that the Godfather is storytelling that's a lot more like what you see uh back there yeah than uh your normal faith film offering yeah and i i think too that's a really helpful tool for just understanding the narratives reading through matthew and the bible reading challenge Mm -hmm. i was focusing on judas and trying to figure out what is it about judas that makes him do the things that he does, right? Because he does the theft out of the money bag, yep. and then he has the betrayal and the kiss, which yep. is his own little touch on that. Obviously, a way of saying hello. But then, then his immediate um, suicide. Yeah, right. It wasn't even. I, I I was trying to I was trying to map that out as I read through this last time. Like what what happened that made him? He watched it, and then immediately killed himself. I don't know. It just it it seemed like he. I assume he's his plan wasn't working out. At least that's the explanation I've heard is that he wanted Jesus to just wreck everyone. I don't know. Yeah, uh, that that for me was a helpful the the character question of what made him act the way that he did, besides Satan. <laughs> right. Maybe that's something. Yeah, I mean that one's it's complex. Obviously, but there's there's envy, there's control. Um, my dad's theory is that Judas is trying to force Christ into the right hand of power. Yeah. He's trying to like force the issue and, uh, obviously did not anticipate the resurrection even, even kind of. Right. Um, but the right awayness is like, okay, four hours, five hours, eight hours, 12 hours. Yeah. Isn't it? I think it's that much, right? Yeah. But it's like, what are we, what are we talking about? But exactly what are we talking about? You know, like this is how long did it take him? Why did he go where he went? And having stood in the field of blood where he killed himself, it is. Oh, oh yeah, because you you spent yeah, time over there. It is a really heavy place, and it's kind of. Um, I was thirteen years ago over there, and this archaeologist was taking me around, and we were. Um, I was there for, on a National Geographic production and so we had access to things that i would not have access to as a tourist and there's a a greek monastery that uh, has possessed the field of blood since the crusades and uh, it's really interesting because unlike most of the holy sites where we don't really know we don't really know where this was or where that was because of all the crusades because of muslim invasions because of uh, the destruction of Jerusalem and so on, so many times. This one we know, yeah, and we know because what it says in Scripture is that the, you know, they're they're concerned. Uh, the Sanhedrin is concerned about having made a field unclean, 
Judas has thrown the 30 pieces of silver back at them. And they don't want to put it in the treasury because it's blood money. Yeah. So they buy a field with it. And he made the field unclean yeah. by killing himself there. And so they feel this weird guilt about having made a field unclean. And they take the 30 pieces of silver and they buy the field and they make the field a graveyard because it's already unclean. And so standing in that graveyard and looking at the graves of the family members of the high priest of that time, like this is. Oh, are they like, buried there? Oh, yeah. You know, which is wow. also extra. Yeah. Wow. They <laughs> yes. got put there. <laughs> so, and you're, you're, you're standing here and then the archaeologist is telling me, he's like, yeah, this is actually, was, was Gehenna. And this is where they burned all their trash in the valley. So, there's this like cliff drop right below the field. And he's like, and down here, this is where the fires never died. This is where they were always, but this is their image of hell was this ever burning trash pit ever burning trash pit and um which is really interesting and then he added he's like and also in an archaeological curiosity it turns out this is where the israelites sacrificed their babies to molech Ooh. and like right here he's like in in the excavations like what we've discovered is that there's like this is where they did that and it's just like oh my gosh <laughs> I'm just standing here like, this is a bad place. This is a bad place. <laughs> this is a bad place. Uh, but anyway, of all the places I visited, that one made the story feel extremely immediate and yeah. heavy. And the pressure of, you know, like the, the weird abated. pressure of the place, like the pressure of it years worth. was still yeah. sitting there. Wow. It was still sitting there. Like this is the field that Judas hung himself in that the Sanhedrin yeah. bought with the 30 pieces of silver. And... Then from there, he says, do you want to, you want to climb into some of the graves? And I was like, yes, <laughs> yes, I do. Uh, that was also very interesting, very dark and very terrifying. Yeah. And what were they like? Are, are those caves there? Yeah. Or it's a, it's a little cave and kind of on a slope and there would be a, a stone plug, you know? Okay. Right. Um, and the only, there was one that they're not allowed to open them. They're not allowed to open them and investigate. These are old, old right. places. But there's a settlement across the, the little valley where they burn all the trash and people will occasionally, tomb raiders will come in and they'll smash the stone and go in. And one had just been tomb raided right before we got there. And uh, so we crawled down into it. And well, it's, it's like a tiny tunnel. It's a tiny little hole. I mean, it's tiny and you go in feet first and the way they've dug it, you go in feet first and then you drop, you drop in, <laughs> into the dark and you land, in this case, I landed in a couple inches of water and there's um, two benches on either side and that's where they would lay out the freshly dead to decay and there are these two, like, so that's basically where Christ would have been laid on one right. like that. Um laid out on this stone carved bench. And then they would come back in later and collect the bones and then move them into the back chambers where they stacked them all very carefully with the skulls gotcha. and stacked all the family members on these shelves. Uh, 
And okay, so going so like keep kinda, using it, keep using the grave. Yeah, yeah, it's like the family grave. And so you put the dead family member in there to decompose. You go back in and collect the bones, move them back to the shelf by grandpa. And and this is not it's not just that you're going into the ground, you're going to be right there. Yeah. You're going to be on the same bench. Like yeah. you're going to decay mm-hmm. on the stains where they decayed. Yeah. Um which is a very interesting I actually like that. Thing. I don't know. Something about that. Yeah. Is, no, it's, I, I mean, it fits with our Godfather theme pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> it's yes, just kind of yes, weird. Yes, it does. <laughs> it does. Anyway, I don't know how we got onto that, but the point, the point is that, I mean, storytelling is not my little pony when it's done well. Right. And so Godfather, what you have, what you have people not enjoy or have concerns about is the glorification of the evil. Right. And that can happen. And that does happen in gangster films and other things where the film itself is, is making a statement that evil is, uh, evil is good. Right. You know, good is evil. Evil is good. Yep. But ultimately, uh, there's a, what is it? Untouchables. Is that the Kevin Costner prohibition? Oh, yeah. Yep. Like think about that one, how broken that one is. Cause okay. he's, he's elevated like a, a hero. Al Capone is. No. Uh, Costner. Is oh, it uh, what Elliot, really, yeah, Elliot. Elliot Ness. Yeah. yeah, Elliot Ness. Yeah, the guy who found or yeah, and so you have you have Ness, and you are going around killing people over alcohol, like people are dying yeah. over trying to have a drink, and it's like what you're the good guy, <laughs> like this interesting. is interesting. Yeah, like what is what is this? But it's it's kind of a weird it's kind of a weird thing. As soon as we put a, a badge on somebody or we give them that that. Uh, sign of authority and law we think good guy and they're going to go enforce the law and, yeah and so on and if they look the other way they're a bad guy they're corrupt uh that's just not the case biblically Interesting. so but, i mean i with reading it now with the current antipathy toward feds that everyone right? seems to have it's uh i haven't rewatched it since i was a kid thinking like yeah get him get capone but uh, sure capone yeah, yeah he's but, a like, bad guy but, but you're just saying in general the prohibition like yeah, hunt what you know? Like we're right. we're chasing moonshiners and like people are gonna die over this. Yeah. Like what what is this? This is a this is America, and it's also kind of wild when people talk about things being bad now and things are bad now. We had prohibition. We made alcohol illegal in the Constitution. <laughs> that's how stupid we are. I mean, like that's yeah. We did that. Yeah. Like we made booze illegal in the constitution, in the land of the free and the home of the brave. And we're all about freedom, right? Right. Really? I mean, yeah, it's absolutely uh, unreal. So anyway, all this to say, watch the stories and compare them to biblical stories. And so uh, we've said this over and over and over again. It's, It's about the taste of God. It's about the storytelling of God. And that's what we're trying to imitate. Yeah. And so when you have done a really good job of enjoying and learning from and being edified by the stories of Samuel and judges and Kings and, and all that kind of stuff. Then your, your calibration for when like Godfather won, what are you taking away from it? What's good? What's bad? What's it saying? What's it glorifying? Yeah. And you, you have really strong calibration to compare it to most Christians just ride in with some very feminine sensibilities. And I mean, feminine, not in womanly, I mean, it in kind of like, authoritative churchy feminine sensibilities that these kinds of things cannot be in movies. These kinds of things can be in movies. Um, 
And so they always want, quote unquote, inspiration in their storytelling. And that's not how God always does it. Right. So that's one path. Yeah. One path, not the only path. Yep. And there's, and even in one character, you'll see inspiration with David. Yeah. Obviously on a legendary level and you'll see absolute tragedy. Yeah. Uh, with, with him as well. Well, uh, this does connect, but back to Blood Meridian, which is about the Glanton gang who were scalp, scalp yeah. hunters, you know, that, uh, I think it was, it was pre-world or sorry, pre-civil war. So the Mexicans would hire them to go murder Apaches and they'd pay him a hundred bucks every scalp. And then, so it was just this constant genocide going on. And of course ways. they DNA tested all the scalps and they knew that they were, right. they were only Apache scalps. And what happened in this one is exactly what you're, you're saying. Right. You come across any Indians, they There's would money. be dead. Come across any small Mexican towns, they'd all be dead. Um, and it originally just became outlaws because they killed anybody. Yeah. And, uh, but, but that, that, uh, the connection to that, there's no way it felt or it was not glorifying it at all, but it was something that was just pretty bleak. Yeah. I know why you, am I reading it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you grabbed some of those characters, your Kit Carson character was from a yep. similar timeline yep. of just reprehensible, I think even same similar areas, mm -hmm. right? Wasn't Kit Carson down on that yep. Southern border too? Yep. Um, I think the book's called Blood Meridian because that is the most violent time that he'd found, like just complete mayhem in um, the American West. But uh, I thought that was interesting to watch, seeing it, it just it just is one of those things that you read about and think, I'm thankful that I'm not living then. I am grateful and it makes you post-mill. <laughs> yeah, it does. even though we are faced with all sorts of darkness and bleakness, right. what are we dealing with? Right. We're dealing with... Uh, some deviancy represented in our streaming content. Yep. And parades. Bad, stupid, gross parades, which are, incidentally, thank God, self-identifying very accurately. <laughs> <laughs> so there's there's not a lot of confusion. There's a lot of confusion in legislation and right. politics, but when they're actually marching in the street, it's pretty clear. Right. And if you bring your kids to that parade- We're coming for your children, they chant. We're coming for your children. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, that's crazy. Uh, well, yeah, that, uh, yeah. That so things is dark, right. things is dark, but they're not as dark as Kit Carson days or blood Meridian days. They're not they're like, we're not, we're not in those moments. We're in, we're in our own rotting decadence. Yeah. So we're like empire decay phase. Yeah, you know, get up there and get decadent. We're at Elon <laughs> Musk and Zuckerberg challenging each other to a cage match level <laughs> of decadence, which means, and here, here's a random thing for me to say, it just aside, I don't want to get too distracted, but when you study history and you, you study the Greeks and you study the Romans, you realize that there's a whole bunch of Caesars that don't matter. Yeah. That's where we are with right. our presidents. Yep. We're in the like, the unimportant, you don't matter presidents. Have you like, heard of Elagabalus? No. He's the guy who tried to turn, Caesar who tried to turn himself into a woman. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I, yes. <laughs> yes. We're exactly yes. there. <laughs> we're there. And so we're the place where we have a cardboard cutout of a president. We have an old man who doesn't even know he's president often. And we move him around and then there's people playing power games behind him. And that poor guy is just getting dragged around and held up he is wither by the way in that hideous strength that's a great description. he doesn't make sense 
The words just happen. You're not going to get a straight answer. He's just going to say his things. Did you see him say, God save the queen? Yeah. <laughs> In Connecticut. <laughs> but, every, but everybody knows. Everybody knows that he has no idea what's going on we are in such a point of decay and then a bunch of other people are like bring us back the orange man right it's like oh my gosh like bring us back the reality show producer we want the reality show producer we want that like yeah bring us that guy and it doesn't matter we're in this like we're in this spiraling collapse so it's not to say that no president could matter. Roe v. Wade got overturned. There's things that still happen. Yeah, we just if we hope like, you all celebrated that last yeah, week. Yeah, there's there's things that happen. There's gains that get made, but we are in this place where we are not electing Teddy Roosevelt. We're not we're not electing guys who actually are going to like really make a mark. And we're no yeah. longer clay to be shaped and molded. We have set and we are rotting, and yeah. we're in that we're in that rot phase. Well, so, I, like I said, I was just in ACCS in Pittsburgh where Fort Pitt was, and I didn't realize that was the location of the fort where George Washington showed up, found the French were building a fort there, as I think, and uh, published a ton of newspaper articles basically saying, hey, the French are trying to take over our country, and started the French and Indian War. Good and job, George. That's what George, that's where he really came to the front as a, a politician. Where And the French and Indian War is, of course, a war in which everyone behaved very well. And yep, the the lines were clearly demarcated. Everybody, <laughs> no innocent villagers. Like, yeah, <laughs> everybody fought like gentlemen. Yeah, and they nobody died. Right, right. One of my very favorite <laughs> scenes in Blood Meridian, and this is one that you just are blown away by. But he joins this first group of guys going down to hunt scalps, kill, yeah. kill Apaches, and they ride down and they see this huge herd of of cows and horses coming. For looked like someone had already pre raided something. So they show up and they're, they're thinking, wow, we just struck it rich. But it turns out there's like hundreds of Comanche warriors coming back from a raid of their own and they just obliterate all these guys on their way to go and like eight of them survive. And it's that moment where he really sets the theme of, because they're off thinking, man, we're going to go kill a bunch of Apaches and they just get obliterated by Comanches on yeah. their way home from a raid. And it's perhaps the most incredible description of like, a, a war scene that I've read in quite some time. So I was very impressed well, with his abilities. But And we uh, go, let's, let's rewind the clock even farther. And there was a time when you lived in the English countryside or Ireland and Viking season was just part of the weather. That's true. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. Like, so it's, there's nothing new under the sun. So when raiding parties were going out to get wealth, you know, they're going off raiding and doing different things. We've done that. We've done that for so long. Like it goes, it goes way back. Yeah. And it's, I recently saw what, whatever his name is, Wagner in uh, the oh. guy who did the head fake coup. Yeah. I saw Fox News referring to him as a warlord. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, I know you're, ch I know you're chasing clicks. Yeah. But it's just, it's like, well, I mean, I guess he kind of is. Yeah. Like sort of, I mean, we've had warlords before. They looked a little different. They, their business models weren't exactly like this. So he just has a private army, right? Yeah. And and he functionally- He's a billionaire with a mercenary. Right. You know, Who started as a effort. hot dog salesman. I was reading yeah. up on him, which yeah. is very Discworld. That is, yeah, it is Discworld. Thank you, Sir Terry Pratchett. <laughs> for, for calling us this 20 the, years For giving time. us the backstory for this particular warlord. Yeah. But it, so- it's easy to look at your moment and think it's terrible. And you go back a little bit and go back a little bit and go back a little bit or go to, go to some other part of the world. 
and realize just how rugged it is. And the gospel really has to like yeah. do a lot of work. Yeah. There's a lot of work still to be done, you know, as, as the gospel like soaks the earth as the, the flood of grace continues. Right. So, but we're, but we're better. Yeah. And it's like, we're in a bad moment and we need to improve. And at the same time, yeah, look back and be like, would you like to live in the days when you could just get scalped for money by anybody who happened to be riding by? Yeah. Any of the countries yeah. would scalp you for money. <laughs> you meet any people, <laughs> they would scalp you for money. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. just dark. Yeah. It's just a little. And dark. it's interesting to me to watch Cormac McCarthy try to work through this because the whole concept is this one kid goes on all these Glanton raids, right? The story's yeah. about the kid. You never find out his name. Um, and he he never ends up um, fully committing to the violence. He's just kind of a participator. He doesn't love it like the awesome evil character, almost a diabolic evil character. I think he breaks the rules that we've talked about for villains. Okay. Um, but remember, the, you said he didn't like this book. <laughs> I, I I read the whole thing on an airplane, so you know that I I was enjoying parts of it. Sure, <laughs> it felt like Moby Dick, but worse. <laughs> but no whales right <laughs> a lot of ahab but no whales yeah exactly so he's on this odyssey there and cormac mccarthy's trying to sort through how can you assign blame to somebody who never fully commits even when they're on this journey and then he ends up getting killed at the end by the judge character so spoiler right there but but like it's that's just how. it's just a bleak that's bleak. how we judge him yeah and and watching a postmodern guy like mccarthy try to sort through the worst period of time he just was realizing you know there's nothing really i can do with anything that's very cormac though to say when's when was the worst let, yeah. me, let me take you on a tour of the worst moment our when, worst yeah it's america at the peak of blood our worst moment <laughs> that can be this episode. i just showed my kids forrest gump for the first time okay and lieutenant dan is sitting there in his wheelchair with a bumper sticker on the side that says america our kind of place <laughs> dude that's, <laughs> that's like, great wow <laughs> but yeah and gump was an interesting one for the what did what did your kids think about it it grew on them yeah yeah i'd say for the first 20 30 minutes they were just thinking what are we doing yeah like what's the what's the point i'd forgotten how much i hate the feather device at the beginning and the end where zemeckis is just really thinking he's gotta he's gotta have some sort of sign off sign in it just starts with this feather floating around and the feather lands on you know, it's like comes down and lands next to Forrest. Then Forrest picks it up and puts it in his Curious George book and starts telling his story. And it's and it's like a really late statement of the theme comes later too, and the question of destiny and choice and right. all that stuff. Like, no, you weren't really exploring the theme. You were just telling a random story that has lots of interesting uh, sections. Yeah, just amusing and surprising. Right. Uh, and dry, really dry, tongue-in-cheek, you know, humor. Would Forrest Gump almost be a comparable for Jojo Rabbit? I'm trying to think about things that touch on similar irreverent topics with... Yeah, a a little bit in terms of how he handles... Because you're not allowed to make that kind of movie or we made the change where all of a sudden... It's how childish he is in Vietnam, how he... It's just so light. It's so lightly handled while people are dying. Lieutenant Dan wanting to die, you know, yeah. getting saved anyway. Yelling at God yeah. in the storm. There's there's a lot that basically it, my kids eventually got into the language of the film. It's a very unusual 
Uh, it's actually kind of like big fish. It's, it's kind of like other episodic random things that, that other directors have done, but it's the one that really stands out and was the most successful, but it's, uh, it's, it's flippancy is what makes it work. Right. If he wasn't simple and childish, if it was just the story of a guy who taught Elvis to dance and move all the way through, right. you know, he's been to the white house three times. He ended Nixon's presidency on accident. <laughs> you know, like, you do that and you, you take it seriously. It doesn't work. But the, right. the weird, like a very simple man who ends up just changing the world over and over and over again in a simplicity yeah. is interesting and funny. Uh, so they, they bought into it more and more, man, they hated Jenny and they were, yeah, they, they, and everybody else was like, what a horrible, and my 13 year old daughter was saying, she's the literal worst, <laughs> like just actually the worst. Like it's so bad. Yeah. And, uh, and it is, it is. And you think how horrible, like this is just a really misogynistic, terrible worldview. Like and it's just kind of it's kind of weird. Like she's just working out all these things and got to express herself and has to run around and then come back without judgment. Like there's not a lot of judgment in the film, but there's right. there was a lot of judgment on our couch. <laughs> Thirteen year olds can see black and white there. I think. <laughs> yeah, they don't but, get confused. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty pretty bad. So anyway, but they they did enjoy the experience of it, but it took them a long time to actually right actually get into the the parlance of that particular film nice okay uh last question before yeah. we close uh dear us i was wondering if dearest us dear nate wilson and brian cole aka stories or soul food i was wondering if y'all had any advice i'm a teenager 18 who's watched movies my whole life but never really watched them more like just saw them happen Anyway, I want to get better at the way I watch movies, and I want to see some of the movies y'all suggest, but I have someone in my family who doesn't really like filters. They would rather not watch the movie at all than to skip through it. Any suggestions? Thanks. That's not always a bad thing to just be like, I'd rather not lurch around. Right. Um, mm, I don't know. That's, that's not something in our, in our forte. There, yeah. How do you handle your interpersonal dynamics with somebody who doesn't want to? Watch movies filtered with you. You are capable of watching them alone, are you not? That is what I was going to say. Yeah. Filters can be set and it can be watched. And then if if you got things of value out of it, then it's worth doing. And if you can't yeah. get things out of value out of it, then you should not then, be watching them then, anyway. Yeah, then stop and move on. Right. Uh, Beg a favor. Say, please, please, please watch this movie with me. Yeah, I think, I do think for everybody, there is there's back to that issue of taste. And start by by asking yourself just of a movie you've already seen. What's a movie you've already seen that you really enjoyed? Like you just took pleasure in it. Yeah. Uh, and why? Yeah. So why did you take pleasure? How did you take pleasure in it? And is it in fact valuable? Do a really neutral objective assessment of is it any good? Is your favorite movie a Marvel movie? Yeah. Like what's the – where – where where is your taste and right starting with movies you've even already seen that are in your top five and just really honestly trying to assess those is important i think okay i'm gonna actually ask another question that follows yeah. up on that so this is from one of our younger listeners uh i younger recently 18 okay i recently got my friend with bad book taste as in brandon sanderson as her favorite author to read dragon's tooth 
And her response was that the storyline, ready for some, some, this will be insulting. Good, please bring it. (laughs) Her response was that the storyline was choppy, characters inconsistent, and it was hard to follow. (laughs) Due to the fact that I refused to handle this stupidity, what should I respond with? (laughs) (laughs) This is related to the same question. Like, how do you get your friend Uh, to like Dragon's Tooth when she doesn't? (laughs) Don't feel like you need to. Yeah. I mean, that's probably the most important thing. Right. Uh, and realize that you're not really friends. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Uh, I mean, you might you might be right now, but it's it's actually kind of funny because, of course, I don't actually mean that about Dragon's Tooth. But there is taste in film and in story is a differentiator that makes it very difficult to maintain friendships over time. It just is, and so while it doesn't matter, people can think what they want to think about Dragon's Tooth, but you move that into more important storytelling. And you're going to have Bible. Yeah. You're going to have very, very big disagreements. People are going to tell you they can't stand David. Yeah. You know, people are going to tell you they don't like Paul. If they actually really know Paul, they don't like Paul. Uh, To be honest, she didn't say her friend didn't like it. She just didn't like it as much as Brandon. Yeah, but my, my point is like when you have taste differentiation, that's really significant. Unlike in the dragon's tooth like okay there's you can like a middle grade series or not but when you have significant taste differentiation right that that fork in the road leads very different places for loves and loyalties affection who you respect who you disrespect who you uh imitate who you honor who you dishonor and and you can really fork and go go different places right so i i i thought it was interesting too, especially if you are talking with a friend about this, I find it it's easier to talk about, try to find out what they liked about it to decide if their taste differentiator is totally broken. Yeah. Right. Because if they're saying, oh, I did like this part about it, but I actually found the characters, you know, the idea that a character is inconsistent, your characters are inconsistent compared to Brandon Sanderson actually follows because he puts adverbs after all his characters. So you know how each one talks every time. Mm. So you have the sarcastic one. The he sarcastic, said sarcastically. Right. So yeah, actually okay. it's way easier to follow a Brandon Sanderson character than Cyrus because a Brandon Sanderson hero is going to be snarky, cheerful, sarcastic from page one to page 600. And I, and I, and so, <laughs> I, so I, uh, I actually was like, actually that's, that that's, follows. That's you funny. would have trouble tracking with why Cyrus is mad here. If you're a Sanderson fan. Here, if you are used to having those sort of Trump style this is how you think about the tweet at the end of, of every <laughs> single line of dialogue. That is that is funny. I think the same thing with hard to follow. Yeah, that, that it's yeah, absolutely. I don't think of Dragon Suit as hard to follow. There's other books that are hard to follow. The uh, Blood Meridian was blood... difficult to follow. <laughs> the the uh, yeah, it's that is that is amusing. But I think even the calibration of taste at all for the, ourselves is the most important than with others is really difficult and people tend to take it very very personally when you yeah. have when you have differing tastes on right. things if somebody really loves a movie it's hard to not like that movie without them feeling like you hate them personally yep like they start to take it as really direct personal affront which is problematic so try to get out of that is the most important thing make sure that it's not any kind of discussion about this is not emotionally charged you know, it's not a big, heavy thing where you, both of you think that you're insulting the other person directly. Right. Uh, 
and that goes for everything. It's it's way more interesting to have a conversation with somebody who disagrees with you about a film that you liked and they didn't, or that you know, vice versa. If you both are able to really keep your eyes on the content and you're tearing it apart and not like receiving it as if you're being torn apart. And right. You're so to like them apart. Greatest Showman, for example, I've heard certain people like talk about how much they love that movie. Now that I will attack you personally. And and <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's helpful. Just it does seem like when you're like, no, that movie is is uh I, I actually haven't seen it. Neither have I. I can't really remember that. I saw <laughs> so I saw should, the trailer. I just heard people talk the, about it. And was like, this looks awful. How can you like this? <laughs> I saw the trailer. That's as far as I got. <laughs> Maybe that I shouldn't have picked I should have picked an example <laughs> <laughs> that we've seen. I don't know. The fact that neither of us watched it, I think tells everybody just about enough about us. Right. Yeah. Uh, the prejudice, the the prejudicialness. But I, right. it is it is really interesting because I've had people rant uh about that hideous strength and really not liking it or something like that. And those moments I'm just kind of like, you know, the problem is you and and you <laughs> should grow a little bit. And I've done that pretty often. Said that to them. Yeah. I've said, a lot of times I tell people the problems in you and there's no point in me talking to you about the book. You need to actually just go get your calibration right. Cause if we're talking about something like Shakespeare or that hideous strength or Mark Twain and people are like, I can't stand him. It's like, um, and just grow up a little bit. Right. But of I, course people are weird. And I have had people directly say to me, I can't stand the apostle Paul. Right. You know? So the ethos there, I think is the question. Yeah. You the have huber, to, the hubris of the critic the, yeah, <laughs> is a little, you have to measure whether you get to say you don't like something. Yeah. We've talked through the five different kinds of yeah. understanding and hating things. But you don't just get to say, I don't like it, so it sucks. Exactly. And I'll I'll end with one last note from my kids who were outraged by your idea, uh, a Jojo rabbit, that his little fat friend is were they? not real. They're like, yeah, that doesn't make sense at all. And then they they brought their case, and I, I find it convincing. You think so? <laughs> yeah. we, need to, we need to watch it again. But just that he interacts with the real world often. Does he? Yeah. Okay. So throwing the knife off the tree, you know, it's like he's he's there's there's plenty of things that he's he's actually not uh, a hallucination, according to my children. And I'm like, well, we should watch it again. Yeah, we'll find out. Put and, it to rest. And I haven't heard feedback. I was very uh, well, I haven't not heard feedback on that to see if it's just established that. Were you it's listening? Not. Were you listening for feedback? Well, I didn't ask your children. I'll find <laughs> them. I'll find them next time. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Okay. Well, this has been SAS. Yep. Godfather and violence. Godfather violence and, and rain taste. assortment in Pittsburgh. The history of <laughs> George Washington versus resident Biden. George Washington, that snitch. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what are yeah. you doing over there? You know that now is the time when I like to thank you for being a SASF listener and also show you something cool that we've been working at uh, at Canapress. And what I'm holding right now, if you can, or if you're only listening in audio, you won't be able to see this. You'll have to listen to the sound. But if you're watching on Canon Plus and if you're a subscriber, you can see I'm holding a Christ is Lord box. Go to ChristIsLord.com to see why we're trying to put up a billboard that says Christ is Lord in your area and why that's making certain sad sections of the internet very upset. Of course, it's true. And so we got some fun stuff inside. Again, if you're just listening, hear the wonderful sounds. We got stickers. We got bumper stickers. We have, yeah, they say Christ is Lord too. 
we've got a wartime songbook. But of course, the most important part of this box is the Mirror Christendom book, which I have to say is one of the most pretty books you're going to see. Check out that foil on the cover, the elegant cross on it. And of course, a signature from Douglas Wilson. What is Mere Christendom? Well, basically it's the declaration of the book that Christ conquered the West the first time, and this is how he's going to do it again. So, Christislord.com, buy the book, check out the billboards, and enjoy.